Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first ever Litecoin Underground podcast. I am your host, Mega Chunky Buns, along with Why Litecoin. I guess you'd be considered a co-host. Um, today, we are going to give you guys a little understanding of why we created the Litecoin Underground, where we're heading with it, and also tackle the subject of Bitcoin maximalism. This is episode one, the maximalism fallacy. Awesome. Yeah. What's up? Um, doing pretty well. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I, I said in the beginning here, I want to look at what it is that we are working on with Litecoin Underground briefly, get an idea for people who are maybe new to Litecoin at all, and uh, or maybe just have heard us on Twitter. So mm-hmm. we created the Litecoin Underground really with the idea of educating some people on how crypto works, maybe even some of the most basic things like creating wallets and hopefully long-term giving you guys some user-friendly data on creating nodes, mining, uh, even using it at retailers, or if you are a retailer, how do you onboard into Litecoin? But with these podcasts, we really want to dive into some topics a little more deeply. And since this one is on everyone's radar and Maybe us Litecoiners are a little sensitive to it. Uh, we're going to talk about Bitcoin maximalism. Now, why Litecoin? You seem to have more exposure to it than I do, or you jump into the fire a little more than I do. What, if you wanted to define it, or if you had to define it, what what would you call maximalism? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's so popular and it has been since 2014 when Vitalik sort of coined the term uh, maximalism, but I would sort of make these two distinct distinctions between maximalism and then shitcoin awareness. So maximalism is really this public relations effort to discourage the formation of substitutes for any particular coin. It doesn't have to apply to just Bitcoin, although that is the most popular form of maximalism, um, because, you know, they're very, no, known for being toxic and offending other communities, but it also exists in, you know, Ethereum maximalism or Cardano maximalism. You have all of these people who believe so strongly that their coin is so much better and superior to all of their chains that they feel the need to constantly promote themselves and bash everything else. Um, so if it's successful, it may benefit existing owners by sort of restricting supply and then elevating the price. But um, if people are unable to find these close substitutes, activity sort of moves to more distant ones, especially as we've seen, you know, when, when fees rise. So, yeah, I think there's two separate things here, maximalism and then shitcoin awareness. And, and Bitcoiners often like to um, promote themselves as the do-gooders, right? They like to say that they're somehow protecting the community, the newcomers, the noobs, by forcing them to buy Bitcoin, right? Um, But I think it's contradictory because they sort of allude to the fact that no other coin could be competitive with their preferred coin. But if that was the case, then there would be no reason to advocate for a single coin, right? Uh, Free markets would would figure that out. Well, yeah, it almost, it feels like... um... It's, it's illogical to give yourself, I mean, <clears throat> if you're going to have one, 100% of everything in one asset, it, it almost is a, a security uh, fault. Like what you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't ever put all your files on one server, right? It seems mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to have different security protocols in general, uh, particularly for money. But um, yeah, so that's interesting you say that, but it's not necessarily unique to Bitcoin. And that's something that I've noticed too, that you know, you have your Ethereum maxis and it's almost a, some sort of psychological, I, I don't know, or it's like this gamesmanship, you know, where it feels like people get into, they get into the weeds of these weird technical discussions about throughput, you know, gas fees, transaction fees. And mm-hmm. there's no real understanding. There's no real thought about like, how is this really impacting people's lives? And in general, when we're ta- mm-hmm. when you're talking about massive world adoption of something, we're we're so far from that <laughs> like to even act as if we have any real clarity of vision about what it's going to look like when you have 
uh, 8 billion people with the ability to onboard in some mm-hmm. fashion, like how they're going to do that and how governments are going to uh, react to this or centralize it or regulate it, license it, whatever there's going to be to it. It's, it's silly to even try to project that far sometimes, right? <clears throat> with any, yeah. with any degree of certainty, that's for sure. There's, that's a good point. Like people have different needs and values. And you point out that 8 billion people, you know, may prefer different aspects of one coin over another. And I think what's unique to blockchains is that they're very, they have to be very specific. Like the rules are very um, well-defined and, and they can't often do multiple things, right? Like we see coins like Monero or more privacy focused coins make huge trade-offs because they take up way more um, data in their transaction sizes. So they don't scale as well um, versus something like Bitcoin or Litecoin. So yeah, you have all of these um, sort of unique properties of different blockchains that can't all be fit into one. So to sort of assume that everyone will just want the same thing, I think, is naive um, on the part of any coin maximalist. And then you wanted to get into uh, a couple of other points on that, right? Yeah, well, so there, there was really three things you know, before we got into this that we felt like I mean, I'm sure there's a, a number of reasons we could bring up, but three that kind of jumped out of us. One is like what we're talking about right now, and we'll dive into is your free market. People will choose uh, various qualities of a, of a money for various reasons at various times. Um, also, historically, the second one would be, what is the precedent for having one form of money that covers the earth, so to speak? And then you have some stuff I'd, I'd really be interested in on the mining. I'll just say the mining because <laughs> that to me is a, the, mm-hmm. the overall understanding of how, how the mining fees uh, work today, how they'll work in the future, um, what the impact of that is on the main chain versus lightning, on-chain, off-chain, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, like you're talking about uh, the free market aspect. So I, I look at this, I guess a good analogy would be if you were to take the aspects of money and say, we have, um, what are the things people look for in money, right? They may look at the liquidity of it, the fungibility, the cost of transaction, the cost to hold, the legality of it for sure, the user interface, the speed, the decentralization. These would all be different, um, almost like when you're when you're playing a video game. And now I'm, uh, you know, I'm a little older than you, I think, but you know, most video games they'll have like let's say you got 10 characters you can start the game with to choose from and player one, you know, the first guy might have a lot of power, but he doesn't have a lot of speed or he doesn't have, he's not one of them's able to use magic, but they don't have any defense. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I get what you're like saying. You have, you have a limited variables. number of points, right? Yeah. To put into right. all these different characteristics. Gotcha. Right. So you're always sacrificing one for the other. Like you can't have uh decentralization and low cost that's just Mm -hmm. really it's really difficult to achieve just like you can't have super security and super speed all at the same time like there's it's always going to be this trade-off so Mm -hmm. that's how i've always looked at it um and i kind of have this whole feeling on the way work i guess money works or um energy works in a way too is you're always having an investment versus a return. So even on your most basic, like human uh, biological element, like a animal does a, they may not do in a calculation, but they will decide what, where is the most return for my effort, right? A burnt, mm-hmm. burnt calories versus gained calories. And um, the same thing goes with investments. You know, people are going to look at things like how much, how much effort, how much risk am I taking? Um, and versus what my return is. And situationally, things will be different in different parts of the world. So that's kind of the, the idea that there'd be one chain that could solve all of that, I think is, um, I'd have a hard time understanding how they yeah. how anybody would believe that. Yeah, it, it just doesn't, well, it doesn't make any sense in the context of, we already know blockchains are very specific in, in terms of what they can do. Um, 
and I think the the maximalist would argue that we could do this in higher layers, right? Like Lightning sort of solves privacy issues to some extent. Um, that's what a lot of them would say. And then we can build, you know, smart contracts on things like Stacks. I know the maximalists aren't really fan a fan of that Stacks protocol, um, but I think, you know, yeah, like eventually in all these layered solutions, if you want security of the chain, you you eventually settle. And I think. Um, that that ability to do things on layer one is what ultimately um, uh, secures that niche value of these different blockchains. And I, I don't really buy the the concept of, you know, we can all we can just obfuscate everything off of layer one and solve it in in the higher layers. I don't. There's a lot of technical points to make about that. I won't go into detail, but um, I definitely disagree with that that argument. Yeah. Well, and, and even with layer two, like if you know, you and I had mentioned, like, let's say, you know, Bitcoin is this kind of uh, base layer for a large number of transactions. I think even Lightning or other layer twos could still exist and provide some function, but you're going to sacrifice when you're looking for higher speed, higher, lower transaction costs, you're going to sacrifice things like decentralization and fungibility. Like it's just, there's no, there's just no magic elixir to make that happen. But um, yeah. So the other part we wanted to talk about was kind of the precedent. I guess this kind of ties in, right? So historically, you know, I guess the best, the best example we would probably point to would be the gold standard mm -hmm. that the world, I guess we'll call it maybe the developed world at that point lived on a gold standard for, I think you may have more knowledge in this than I do. I want to say it was maybe had multiple countries for a total of maybe a hundred years or so. Like yeah, by the time everybody got on board to the gold standard, they were off of it pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. That sounds about right. I think it's about, yeah, about a hundred years. I mean, the world sort of used gold as money. There's a 10,000 year history of that, but as soon as, you know, governments started being able to issue their own monies against things like gold and back them with gold. Yeah, that, that's when that's what led to the development of the gold standard. And um, I actually think it's a, a, a fallacy because once you take the, the money away from the people and issue them this paper that's supposed to be redeemable, you're sort of reliant on the political system to be honest and hold that peg. But, you know, from history, history, we see that that's generally naive to trust political systems. So don't ever let them put you on a standard. Make sure you got to make <laughs> sure that people always have, uh, you know, inflation protection by actually using the money and not not giving that up. So, but, but well, yeah, it's interesting, like Bitcoin, what, what I do think is cool about Bitcoin or probably what drew most, what draws a lot of people uh, from a. I don't want to call it anti-government, but pro-small government <laughs> faction of the world is the idea that, yeah, you can, people can uh, hold the money and actually verify the chain independently, right? They, they can audit at any time. They can choose to essentially audit the Fed. That'd be the best way to look mm -hmm. at it, right? That's something we've wanted to do for, since the creation of the Fed is have the ability to audit it, ability to audit it. And um, now we have that opportunity, but only if people actually possess their coins. Yep, it, it, it's, it only works if, uh, yeah, if people are actually running Bitcoin, like actually possessing their private keys. Um, and I think that's, that's a, a real problem within or at least in terms of understanding within the, you know, Bitcoin speculator or hodler community, um, they, that, you know, people actually do have to possess their coins. We can't really rely on a government, you know, they will talk about hyper Bitcoinization, all these central banks buying Bitcoin. But the, the moment that people just start trusting, you know, co the coin bases of the world and all of these exchanges to hold their Bitcoin, you, you don't really know for sure if they've, inflated the supply or not unless you you know attempt to withdraw your coins so yeah definitely an important point there uh in regards to do you think that's going on 
I think like just just sidebar. Do you think there are exchanges <laughs> that are creating fake coins? Well, I think it's already been proven that there have been. That's why um, some of these exchanges have gone down. You know, and not not maybe the major ones that are still around, but a lot of those early exchanges, um, like uh, Mount Gox. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. I don't know the entire history, but I think uh, that was primarily a hack. But yeah, like, if primarily you take, because um, I actually did just yesterday. I was reading. I'm kind of getting a little sidetracked, but I'll I'll come back here. But I was going through Coinbase's legal mumbo jumbo because I was kind of curious. Like, I wonder if they do lend your coins out um mm-hmm. you know like when you use a stock broker they can they can let people short your shares without mm-hmm. you're kind of giving them your permission in exchange for these low fees or no fees and um i did read and they you know they were very explicit that they don't do that but i would have no idea if um like binance or bitrex or any of these other people are they turning around and lending them out at some low rate? Maybe if they're doing it safely, that's okay. But I guess they don't ever anticipate people moving their coins. Yeah. If, and, if you're just constantly seeing an uh, historical trend and more people depositing coins and never taking them off your exchange, you do have the incentive. And I think the important point is whether you know it or not as a user of that exchange like the potential for them to do it is always there and they don't really have to ask your permission. Um, and yeah, like I was saying earlier, there, there were a couple of exchanges. I forgot the name, but sometimes like the founders would just say there was a hack and they'd like secretly run away and like fake their own death. <laughs> do you remember that incident? Uh, I know there was a guy in Canada. <laughs> you know, anytime something dramatic happens on Bitcoin that actually ends up in a real newspaper. <laughs> My dad will yeah. call me up. Hey, did you see this happen? <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe they could be hacked. Be careful to protect your Bitcoin. I'm like, well, yeah, that's just somebody who forgot their password. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, that's not my fault. <laughs> yeah. That's not Bitcoin's problem. Mm-hmm. Right. But, it, you know, it's interesting because I, I had a thought the other day. I put something out there about it, uh, how these fee structures, and maybe we'll talk about that in your mining part, how the higher fees actually, um, they disincentivize using the coins or even moving them in any way and keeping fees high gives the opportunity for there to be intermediaries Mm -hmm. and third parties do naturally emerge. And so it's been this weird dichotomy that like develop, like the high fees actually drive development and they drive these businesses to exist where if there were no fees, it would be hard to be, to profit off of it. So, so, so I think some of the low fee chains like Litecoin, and I'm going to say Bitcoin Cash, same thing. I know it just, I just equate the two because they have extremely low fees. Um, there's less opportunity to profit off of being an intermediary because they work so well on chain. Yeah, I think that's so, a, a definitely right. an important point for sure. Yeah, we can get into this a little bit in, in more detail, but um, yeah, once Bitcoin transaction fees go up, you have this urge or, or people don't want to pay those high fees if they don't have to. So it does sort of spur innovation on the layer twos, like these exchanges providing, you know, better services to compensate for, you know, the high fees or they bat- start batching transactions, start implementing things like SegWit. Like all these innovations um, happen because there's demand for Bitcoin users to avoid paying those high fees. But, you know, substitution can happen at the higher layers, um, like I just described, or it can also happen by just using a new chain, right? Like, again, we were talking about trade-offs, like the trade-offs for using uh, a layer two exchange is that, yeah, one, you don't actually own your coins. So you don't know if they're inflating your supply. Maybe they're not, maybe they're being honest. Um, but you don't know that. And then the other thing is that I like to bring up often is the political risk that exists. So like, let's say, um, hypothetically in the future right now, we sort of see the political system trying to, you know, not let anybody send transaction amounts over $10,000 or not withdraw anything more than $600 from their bank accounts or else, you know, it triggers all these reporting requirements. So I think eventually in the US, they, these 
this political system will start to do apply the same rules it does to traditional banks to these exchanges and then you know that then it it makes like it makes it much harder to use those layer twos right um well, yeah, even worse even worse is um saying okay strike you exist in the u.s you're a you have to register as a whatever bank you need a bank license to operate in the u.s you need to get one in all 50 states and start adding all these all these costs everything's got to be aml kyc yeah six hundred dollar reporting and it becomes a bank again <laughs> and you get western union all of a sudden it's four dollars per transaction because they have costs to cover exactly like compliance costs i saw are like the number one costs these exchanges are paying and i think you know there's all of this uh promotion of how bitcoin solves the problem of like you know interbank transfer fees or wire transfers you know being so expensive but i think we forget that you know these compliance costs in the traditional banking world uh, are are making it such that you know wire transfer fees are so high if there weren't all these regular regulatory compliance costs maybe wire transfer fees would be like a couple bucks instead of 15 or 30 or whatever and we forget that you know those same rules are eventually going to be ap applied to the the bitcoin white market exchanges too and in organizations like strike so maybe they will eventually have to pass on those costs such that you know there's no real value add to their business anymore well or or they'll keep it free but they'll well it'll be quote unquote free but there'll be a spread or yeah somewhere quote unquote free or they'll be lending out your coins yeah they'll without, have to make up know. that cost somehow they can't just lose money so yeah like um yeah yeah it's it's the same dynamic eventually you know the <laughs> this the sort of market that they're attracting right now um because they can offer the service for cheaper than the traditional banking system yeah that may eventually evaporate and so they're just you know stuck in the same boat as western union um but we'll see we'll see i think it's tough for people to plan for that future because right now um crypto is still new and regulators are still figuring out how to approach this stuff it is more difficult to track and regulate and right now it just it it seems like they don't know exactly how to approach it but eventually you know if it becomes as popular as we imagine then i can't imagine a world where regulators aren't cracking down on a lot of these uh service providers yeah i mean i, I just see apple being a lightning network node right and they're going to be the other part about this that I, I think is interesting going back to the maximalism idea is because it is a free market uh, people who are going to want to be those service providers and those fee collectors uh, like Apple, Google, when they start building their own wallets, they have, they could care less who the winner is. <laughs> you know what I mean? They want to make sure I'm involved in some way and I'm uh, catering my services to as many people as I possibly can, right? Mm -hmm. Within reason. So they don't care if it's Litecoin or Bitcoin or Ethereum or uh, Tron or whatever the heck it's going to be. Mm -hmm. It's going to be, they just say, look, I'm here. And, and that's why I think the same thing we're seeing it with Coinbase right now. Coinbase has I, it, a boggling amount of coins on there now. Like mm -hmm. every day, I feel like what is going on? <laughs> I keep looking at it. And so they're incentivized to offer as you know, offer services to as many people who are interested. And so mm -hmm. why would they want to limit it? And I think that, so that, that's, that to me seems like such an obvious one. And I, and I, and I would maybe guess that Bitcoiners, this wouldn't be their philosophy that like no coins will like no other coins will exist at all. I can't imagine them. Maybe you, like I said, you've talked to them more, mm -hmm. but I don't see how they aren't aware that people choose, even if it's illogical, people are going to choose different options. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's... People buy lottery tickets, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so everybody knows it's a horrible investment and yet people do it and they do it by the billions of dollars every week. 
Yeah, and the, it's silly because the state is collecting half of the winnings. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, like, you don't make get me started on the state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that another time. But um, yeah, you make a, a good point there. One is that you know businesses don't really care. They care about their profit, their bottom line. They don't have these ideal. They're not going to give up millions and millions of dollars to stick to some ideological purification test of one tribe, right? Like that's what Coinbase does. Like they, they realize their cost of adding a new coin is almost nothing. And their profit is as many users that want to trade that coin, right? 1% of the, the volume or something is, is what they're going to make. And so, yeah, I mean, it's almost like a, it doesn't require any sort of thought. Like, yeah, let's just add this coin. I guess the only thing preventing them from adding coins is like, is this a security or not, right? Like the regula regulatory risk of that they might run into with the SEC. But besides that, yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. And then, um, yeah, as, as in regards to why, why um, these tribal chain maximalists think this way, I, I don't know. It just, you know, it reminds me a lot of, in politics, how people just can't see beyond their own um, inner circle. I, I don't know. It's just you know some sort of cognitive bias there, and and I think there's good reason, right? We have historical precedents, and I'll get a little bit deeper into this. Is yeah, okay. is uh, with the gold standard, right? Like I think we we like to extrapolate history onto the future, and so I think Bitcoiners look at this. Um, monetary world uh sort of the same as how uh the the previous development of the gold standard happened and i pointed out a little bit of the fallacy in the idea of a world reserve currency but i think you know the main difference between something like gold and something like bitcoin is that gold uh doesn't have uh costs that increase as the number of users are added so the thing about gold is yes it's not strictly limited in supply you can always mine more gold if demand pushes price up you get more incentive to mine new supply so the inflation rate can go up if more people demand it um, so you kind of get this stable purchasing power over time but in bitcoin you know there's never any more supply <clears throat> added right because of the difficulty adjustment algorithm and right. you see all these people that say oh yeah they focus all on supply and say infinity over 21 million, divide the entire universe <laughs> in, in over 21 million. Um, but they forget about the demand constraints, right? Like more people that are transacting in Bitcoin means the price goes up because you have this limited block space that all of these people transacting are competing for. And uh, even when you get into layering up into like layer two and layer three, eventually, right? Like, you need to, to be able to settle in order to get the value proposition of, of Bitcoin. So this fee pressure is inevitable and that necessitates substitution um, like we talked about earlier. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think it's worth reiterating, you know, we're obviously, I think you and I are both big fans of Bitcoin. I don't think we're trying mm -hmm. to say that Bitcoin isn't going to be this premier asset long-term that people that will be highly sought after. Um, you know, we're as Litecoiners, I think we would say, Hey, we're, we're right next to you running a very similar protocol. And we just envision a world where there's, there are varied interests and very varied motivations. And so people will choose different monies based on their situation and are, and more than anything, we would prefer a, I would prefer the price of Litecoin to be lower and have more decentralization. Mm -hmm. you know, I think, and I think that's where our aim should be as a crypto community is more power to the people, more ability for users to engage on chain, regardless of what the coin is, assuming it's a, you know, a secure chain. And that might be, that was actually something else we could talk about in another one is like a defining a true cryptocurrency. Cause mm -hmm. I think that word gets tossed around so loosely. But um, going, you know, I I think an interesting story is one thing that came up in one of our Twitter Spaces last week or the week before. It was uh, I forget the username. I think she went by like Mikasa or something, and she was in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And she said that, you know, we were asking like, well, if people over there, do they use it? Are they aware of it? 
And she said, like, it's just, it's not even realistic to engage for a lot of people. She said, you know, the average person's when working at a carryout makes like a dollar an hour US, right? So they're making $2,500 a year. And mm-hmm. that's, it's so jarring. And I would say the Philippines is probably considered a developing country. I wouldn't consider them third world. I mean, they're, we have some sort of US relationship, right? Don't we have military bases over there and that type of stuff? So I wouldn't call it, uh, you know, it's not like Honduras. So, but maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong on that. But um, just the thought that billions, probably two thirds of the world lives uh, well below a poverty level that any of us have any comprehension of is, Mm -hmm. again, that short sightedness of, do you really imagine these people are going to (laughs) <laughs> take take their money, even if they're going to use Lightning Network, move it on chain, uh, pay the whatever $10 transaction fee to get it onto the Lightning Network, and then do that once a month or do that however often they have spare cash. Like it's just, it you wouldn't even, you wouldn't encourage your friend to do it. If it was a good friend of yours, you would say, you know what, man, either either you're going to use Strike or something like that which goes back to the problems we said before, the legality, um, KYC, decentralization. You sacrifice those, some of those positives of crypto in order to engage on a second layer, or you find another layer. And I, and I would rather those people learn to use another chain. I'm sorry, another chain instead of another layer. Mm-hmm. Um I, I wish the Bitcoiners would encourage them to use another chain instead of lightning. Mm-hmm. And, and like the other thing about Bitcoiners too, like you and I have talked about this, like, will there be, I think what's even more disturbing to me is that it doesn't seem to be voices too much that are willing to stand up and say, guys, this is nuts. <laughs> you guys are being crazy. Put a third of your coins into the, you know, even if it's, yeah, even if it's 10%, 20%, put some of your coins in cold storage. Like that doesn't seem to be a loud enough voice. It's about mm-hmm. getting returns, leveraging, you know, taking loans out against your Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're just, just, you're like, what is happening? And like, I, and I feel like some of the logical <laughs> voices you hear, like I know, uh, I follow Eric Voorhees, you know, he's an original Bitcoiner. Uh-huh. And I feel like he, tries his best but there's just so much hate that gets thrown his way i wonder if it's like not worth the battle for a lot of these guys yeah well i agree with all the points you made first yeah we're as a as a community and i I like the litecoin community especially for this is it's not it doesn't feel maximalist like yeah we may promote litecoin because we think it's offers high value for low cost right now um, which it does but at the same time, we're not saying every other coin is a shit coin. Um, and we definitely promote Bitcoin too. Um, and then, yeah, there's so much silly advice from, and I think it started with Michael Saylor once he started getting promoted as this guy. He says some outlandish things sometimes. And I think some of it's just for attention. And he likes creating these crazy metaphors. But the advice of like taking out loans against all of your physical assets and putting it all in Bitcoin is quite insane i mean i think that is just the worst advice you could give someone especially someone that's new and doesn't really know what they're doing like yeah you may know that the cycle is going to end at like 100k or something but for someone that is brand new and you're telling them like leverage their house and buy bitcoin at the top and then they see it drop 80 <laughs> percent, like that you're just destroying someone's life i think that's totally irresponsible and i think you know, unique to the Bitcoin maximalist community is there's this uh, there's this belief, like almost like it's written in the universe that Bitcoin is destined to go up for forever to like a million dollars a coin. And so there's like no risk to the downside. It's it's I don't know. What do you think it is? Because it's to me, it's it's still up in the air. It's still really early. There's a lot of variables that could push the price down in the short run. But yeah, of course, there's, there's always short term things that can, I mean, you could have a, I think if a tether bomb exploded, right. If mm-hmm. the sec decided they were going to shut down tether and freeze whatever assets 
whatever powers they could do to go in there and say, throw into question, is there really even tether? Does it really exist? Mm-hmm. That's what $70 billion. Yeah. And, it's, a, it's a lot. And, and that is a little bit of a different discussion that when people sit here and go, well, a trillion dollar market cap, $7 billion is or 70 billion is only 7%. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> $70 billion mm-hmm. sell off of Bitcoin would have a massive, no, yeah, it's like massive, massive impact, right? I remember. Do you remember seeing? This is a tangent, but Tom Lee. Do you remember Tom Lee uh, from Fundstrat, the guy that used to go on CNBC all the time? No, and, I don't know him. But go oh, ahead. oh, okay. Anyways, he. I remember him talking about the multiples of how much you know a dollar goes into pushing up the Bitcoin market cap, and it yeah. was like a twenty x. So like for every thousand dollars, the Bitcoin market cap would go up twenty thousand, right? And especially that's especially true if you have this huge illiquid supply. Like I don't know if you pay attention to the Willy Wu and Will Clemente yep. on chain analysts, but I know they talk about illiquid supply all the time. So like if you have this locked up supply, like the majority of coins aren't available for sale. Like yeah, of course when you when you, like a billion dollars comes in, they're 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 competing for such a limited supply such that it's like a 20 to 25x multiple a billion pushes up the market cap 25 billion so yeah and that can be true on the downside too right like if everyone's looking to sell and there's no bid then i mean a billion dollars could crash the market 50 billion who knows right yeah Um, so i mean i think in the short term yes it goes up and i and i mean i'm sorry there's there's always risk in the short term mm -hmm. which i think I played a little bit around with leverage and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, I didn't, I fortunately had enough coins that I didn't get liquidated, but I would have gotten liquidated on a 50% loan to value, which yeah, would have been just awful. Right. Cause you're, ha- you're being forced to sell at the very bottom. Yeah, exactly. But, like, and it can that, happen in a flat. It can happen while you're sleeping. Like that's yeah. the other part, right? You could just be, go to bed one night, wake up and half your coins are gone and the co- price bounces back up. Yeah, but, that's but I do think like in the long term, I don't think that like, hey, Bitcoin number only go up. I think the actual calculation is that the dollar number only goes down. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is the, the inevitability that all assets become more scarce against the dollar as we mm-hmm. continue to print and print and print. Um, so, yeah, yeah I. And that's where I think that where the, the cold storage hodl, like you can't hurt yourself. Buy it with real money, a beautiful store of value over the course of 10, 20 years. Yeah, you're going to find points where your Bitcoin is going to inevitably grow just like, and I believe this exact same with Litecoin. I don't think these protocols are going anywhere as long as the mining keeps mining. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be here. <laughs> so, yeah. but are they going to be a billion? I mean, a million dollar Bitcoin? Maybe. I yeah, mean, it, it's it it's just, hard to it's hard to believe it won't happen just because we've been on this inevitable freight train. Mm-hmm. So I do yeah. think it does it does happen eventually. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, yeah, it kind of depends on how the rate of inflation for uh, the U.S. dollar. But if you look at the the debt bind we're in and the inevitability. I mean, it's almost impossible to raise interest rates. So I can't imagine. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. There's this dollar milkshake theory out there that, you know, that it, it may be impossible for the Fed to uh, prevent the rise of the dollar and eventually a debt deflationary collapse. I mean, I don't think that's likely. I think it's more like the dollar's going down and uh, we're going to print our ways print our ourselves into at least high inflation, if not hyperinflation over the next decade. Um, so yeah, I, could, it's I hard. could see a world where the, the fed recognizes that if they don't reverse course, that they're doomed mm-hmm. and that they choose to actually reverse course, which would be so odd. It would be such a weird thing because it would be actually what, we all wanted in the beginning mm-hmm. as Bitcoiners, it would but it would, hurt, it would hurt your stack. <laughs> it, it would, I think it would collapse all markets almost, you know, oh, if interest would. rates went back to historical norms. Like, I don't know if you remember 
or have studied the Paul Volcker era, but in the 1970s, yep. 80s, when there was high inflation, he took interest rates to like, I mean, mortgage rates went up to 18% or something. Yeah. You want to hear something? My, my dad had a real estate business and mm -hmm. his business model was if I don't sell your house in 30 days, I'll buy it. Mm -hmm. And then Paul Volcker came in. And so housing prices collapsed yep. because, and then nobody wanted to buy a house and won't take out a mortgage. So he mm -hmm. ended up having to go out of business. But oh man, <laughs> he's an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, yeah. he'll be all right. But, um, but no, I mean that that was yeah. I mean, no wonder housing prices are ten times what they are today. You can borrow ten times. As much, I mean, it's yeah. a joke. But so we've gotten a little off track. But I like yeah. I like the conversation, um, and I think returning back to to our maximalism fallacy. So we kind of went over a little bit of the historic and maybe even a little bit of the government reasoning why it would be difficult to see it be mm -hmm. the end all be all you know the free market kind of keeps creeping in but i really do want to understand you've you've talked about this a couple times in spaces and maybe i'll i'll probably ask some maybe digging questions a little bit but you have this kind of idea about how the mining caught co the cost of mining i shouldn't say that the mining reward today Ben, uh, mm -hmm. benefits the miners, right? So that's part of their payment. And once the rewards go away, well, fees have to make up. Yeah. So the reward in order to secure the network. Mm -hmm. That's a hundred percent correct. So you have this, um, well, can, can, we hash, walk, right? can we walk through today? Like, can we just say yeah. like, for example, right today, mm -hmm. um, a block is mined every 10 minutes. And all the miners in the world are competing for that block. And mm -hmm. most of them are in mining pools, meaning they, they combine their hash power. It's determined who actually contributed to this uh, effort. And so if you have one out of a hundred miners, you get 1% of whatever that mining pool wins mm -hmm. essentially. And as far as I can understand the mining pools will pay you even if they don't win a block, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with how that, how different Have you mining mined pools. before? I haven't actually, no, I haven't, I have not, but um, you're, we can talk about, yeah, the mining rewards. So 144 blocks, right, I think per day, that's 10, there's one block every 10 minutes. Yeah, so 144 blocks, 6.25 Bitcoin right now in the block reward at a price of what's today's price 62,000. So I'll do the math for you real quick. <laughs> yes, we have 62,000 times 6.25 times 144. That gives us a total of about $56 million worth of Bitcoin in block rewards. Right. Um, and so if you look at the number of transactions that can actually take place on the chain in a given day, right? Uh, last 24 hours, it was about 240,000 transactions, but we could assume we get up to 400,000. That's about the max that if all blocks are full that you can get through the chain. How um, many? Close to 400,000. So if we take uh, 56 million, did I, say, did I say 56 or 58? Use the 56. Okay, divided by the 400,000 transactions, that's an average cost of about at today's security level, about 140 bucks per transaction. And so my point is that over time, yes, as Bitcoin block rewards decrease and price isn't going up exponentially, you know, forever in terms of real purchasing power, maybe the dollar's just losing value against Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's purchasing power isn't increasing. So there's not like miners speculating on future gains from, you know, higher levels of adoption. We've sort of reached max adoption. Um, the security will have to be paid for through those transaction fees. And right now it's about 140 bucks. So in order to do these high value transactions, you're going to be able, you're, you're going to be forced to pay that $140 transaction fee. And that ties into this idea of, you know, substitute chains, right? Like not all transactions can afford paying that $140 minimum fee level. So anything, and I would argue that. Well, you're, you're only really, you're also only substituting the block reward. These miners are also getting fees for each transaction. So let's yeah, say it so, is $10. So now you're, I mean, granted it's a small mm -hmm. 
on top of that, it's 150 instead of 140. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Yeah. So it, more. regardless, yeah, you have this minimum fee level in order to maintain this high security. And, uh, you know, Max was off, often brag about the high security level, but there is a cost to it. And that inevitably leads to high, high fee levels and substitution. I mean, I would argue that people are only willing to really pay about 10%, maybe even less, maybe 5% in transaction fees. So if you take a, a fee level of about $150 um, at 5% transaction fee, that the minimum transaction transactable amount is about $3,000, right? Like right. 5% of 3,000 is 150. So anything between 3,000 and up um, you can do on Bitcoin, but anything below that $3,000 level, which arguably there's way more transactions at the lower level than the higher level. Right. Well, and even so, so why, even if you could get, <laughs> even if you could get it to where you're transferring $3,000 and it's 5%, why would you mm-hmm. want to pay the 5% still? No. Ex- yeah. I think that's a great point <laughs> too, because yeah, you, people won't, if they can avoid it, they will like, so maybe the people are only willing to pay 1%. And so yeah, the minimum transactable amount now instead of 3000 is 10000 or whatever, um, $15,000. Um, but yeah, you make a good point. Once you have these, this future where more chains are monetized, it will be very easy for users because I think it's just a UI problem. Once you have a wallet that can sort of give you this little slider that allows you to sl- select your security level and your fee, you're going to try to find out you know, what's the, ma- the minimum security I need for this transaction. Um, such that it's protected and secure. Um, and, and I'll just choose that, right? And I'll, I'll try to maximize my, the value to me and minimize my cost. And so that, that definitely leads to a future in which you have these multiple Bitcoin-like chains, like one through N, like maybe BTC is number one, LTC is number two, and just something else is number three, all the way down the line. Um, but it, it's tough for me to imagine a scenario where that doesn't happen. So do you have, I mean, I, I don't know what the Bitcoin maximalists would say to that, well, but. I will say this, like, I think one thing that's interesting that doesn't get talked about a lot with the security mm-hmm. is that I would probably argue that right now the chain is over secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as crazy as that sounds, like it's your money, you can't have any phallus or any any fault in your security but um i you know it's almost like if you if you never have a failure then it's not you don't really know what the appropriate amount of security is mm-hmm. and maybe would, what happens over time is that the competition drops to a point of the proper level like teetering above secure versus unsecure i don't know i I, that's part of where it'd be interesting to see once block rewards go away tons of machines are going to get shut off Mm -hmm. like no question in my mind yeah i think which i guess it still comes so then then your overall because the block reward right now is where it is because of how much money because of the cost of mining it's very closely tied to the electrical cost how much is actually invested in mining is very similar to the reward, right? There's, it's a very close balance, I guess. So when the reward, when the price goes down, machines get shut off, right? Difficulty adjustment drops. Mm -hmm. And there's like this stasis level where you're always getting, I'm sure they're making a decent return. The people who are getting electricity at four cents a kilowatt hour or something. But ultimately, the reward should settle in to what is the true cost to secure that network. Like you're getting, you're going to get a super accurate cost of what does it cost to secure this asset at this price. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think you make a good point. This is a globally competitive market, so I think eventually profit margins do get driven close to zero. Um, And so eventually, yeah, it's going to be demand for the chain, uh, the security level at a certain price. And I don't know the width of like, like how many transactions 
I don't know how many chains we'll actually need is what I'm trying to say, but um, well, yeah, yeah, you're I, going to get just this very specific level of transactability is my point. Like you're going to have a range in which it makes sense to pay that fee, but other than that specific range, it, it won't make sense to use that chain. It's, well, goes back, you know, I was, I was going to ask this question of you and I'm going to, I promise this means something <laughs> when we were talking about gold, you know, saying it's the world reserve currency. I wonder how many people even owned gold. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. I, my parents didn't own gold. I know my grandparents didn't. Well, I don't talking, think it was I'm talking uh, when it was, you know, we're talking 1870s, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. world's on the gold standard. Your average citizen, I would imagine 90% of people didn't even use gold at all. Right. Yeah, they were using whatever their, their, whatever their country. Now, if the dollar was tied to gold, I guess technically they would have been using what they believed to be gold. Yeah, exactly. They, the banks would settle between each other with gold. Um, and, but I think most people were operating on these bank rails. And so I think that's, again, like that's what the, the future I think a lot of Bitcoiners imagine is where most people are just operating on these bank rails or layer upper layer rails and nobody's really using the main chain except the banks to settle um, amongst themselves. But I think the cool thing about Bitcoin is that anyone can do it. So like, it's not prevented by just uh, a government or a bank saying like, yeah, you, you can't own, own it. Like you can always run Bitcoin and accept transactions on chain, regardless of what anyone tells you to do. Um, so I think this democratized access is a huge difference between you know the gold standard and um, what the future may look like. But yeah, you're right. Like nobody, <laughs> hardly anyone was using gold to settle. Like nobody was measuring it in commerce in the probably the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, they were so, using banknotes. Well, so so it gets interesting here because when you're talking about the mining, when we get to and granted, mm-hmm. we're talking the rewards. Um, the block rewards will probably be fairly significant through the next 20 plus years, I would think. But just to kind of give you a quick, cause I mined for a little bit, I probably mm-hmm. had 13 or 14 machines. They make a ton of noise and create a ridiculous amount of heat. Um, and I bought them at the absolute worst time, but essentially there's a pretty direct calculation about the efficiency of the machines, how much hash power can I create versus how much does my electricity cost? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have some loss of energy through like it coming from the street, you know, the, the electricity, the pipe coming from the street, getting mm-hmm. into your computer, you're going to lose a little bit of yield. Um, and then obviously you're losing a lot through heat and, and you, the fan, the cooling and all that type of stuff. But you could pretty accurately calculate like what, what do, what's my investment and what's my return and is very directly correlated to the cost of the electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think that you would reach this kind of level of, like I said, stasis where these fees are going to um, represent the true value of securing that chain. Yeah. So what, what the question becomes is like, why is it so much more expensive to secure Bitcoin versus Litecoin. Ooh, I just hit on something I need a better understanding of. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Fee ultimately, yes, in the very end, it's the utility, right? The the value to the user um, and the 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 amount they're willing to pay um, to secure their money. That's what's going to drive uh, the price of the chain. And <clears throat> instead of like this speculative behavior that we are like 99.9% is just speculation on the future, making, you know, various different assumptions about what that looks like, like we've talked about, but your point is spot on. Eventually it's demand um, from individuals to transact within this very specific value range, in my opinion, that's going to determine the security level and not only the security level, the price of the chain, right? Because ultimately you're paying, like the price of the chain is uh, going to be reflected in how much energy that chain is consuming and how much hash rate it's 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 providing. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, it's the single variable that will eventually determine the end price. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting too, because when you think about like the Lightning Network, a second layer essentially is Bitcoiners acknowledging like there will be people who prefer who prefer low transaction costs over security or over decentralization. Like they've already acknowledged it, right? With El Salvador, like, hey, this is good enough for them, right? They should be happy to be a part of the Bitcoin revolution in a way. Mm-hmm. And if they got to use Strike well or Shivo wallet, well, that's good enough for them type of attitude. But so they're, they're, they are acknowledging that there's trade-offs and for some reason, they don't want that, to, that trade-off to be um, anybody but Bitcoin. I will say this for your, because you mentioned it, and I do think the shitcoin awareness is probably where most of this is rooted. They just, for some reason, are misguided in saying that everything is a shitcoin. Yeah, and I think that might be the biggest, the biggest uh, hurdle for us to try to, I guess, jump is to say, listen, guys, yes, there are what are 15,000 coins, 14,900 of them are total just tokens, right? They're like when you go to the arcade when you were a kid, they're just making these things. They're nothing. Mm-hmm. They only work inside this weird ecosystem. And they don't have any value to the outside world. I would agree to that. And they have no connection between the physical world and the digital world, which is the mining proof of work stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe, maybe that's where it comes from. I think it comes a little bit from like when Satoshi said, you know, if you don't, ha- if you don't understand it, I don't have time to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. That seems to be that overall, the big turnoff I have with, with the maxis is like, Hopefully we can do shows like this where you and I are taking the time to talk through the thought process. But if we do this and then we do another one in a year and then people are still harassing us, you're going to go, look, dude, I did a podcast. Go listen to it. (laughs) I don't have time to explain it to you. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think, yeah, that's definitely a popular meme. And you touched on a good point. There's a difference between um, shitcoin awareness and maximalism. I think shitcoins, like they're presumed to be scams, right? Although some of them may have good intentions, they're just sort of ignorant of security principles. But I think the difference between shitcoins and then altcoins, right? Like there may be different implementations of Bitcoin, like Litecoin, that are more secure than others. But these are just like really matters of degree. They're not, they're not like so much different, right? Like no Bitcoin is absolutely secure. It's just secure at a certain price, um, a certain transactability. And Bitcoin started off being not secure at all. It was totally centralized, right? It was the supply was totally centralized. You know, he had to get coins out there somehow. So he decided to do it through this lottery and mining. Um, But really it started off at super low security and you couldn't transact much value at all on it, right? But over time it became decentralized. And so I think it's, you know, hypocritical for Bitcoin maximalists to say that Bitcoin's the only secure chain. It's the only decentralized chain when in reality it started out very centralized and not secure at all. And for Bitcoiners to assume that this can't happen again is just very silly because it happened once. And if fee levels get to, or if adoption levels get to the point that they expect, I don't see why it it wouldn't happen again. It is happening again, right? Like with Litecoin, you're seeing more transactions happen on chain. You're seeing um, more active addresses. So I think it's just this cognitive dissonance. Yes, there's a difference between shitcoining, which is just, you know, a few founders trying to get rich most of the time by pumping something that isn't secure at all and they're selling it as the next big Bitcoin or next big thing. And that's a lot different than something that like Litecoin that's, you know, was launched fairly, that's had a hundred percent uptime, is continuously producing blocks, increasing in hash rate. And is there for people to use if they want to use it. There's nothing about it that's scammy. Um, so yeah, there's there's this very distinct, uh, I think we get into, uh, need to get better at defining these terms um, when we're talking with Bitcoin maximalists or when we're discussing this as a community because yes, there's shit coins, but there's also legitimate altcoins too. Right. Well, that yeah, that kind of feeds into like, it'd be nice to do one about what are the qualities of a valuable currency? And, and I think, you know, it is funny. Like, do I think a lot of them are scams intentionally? 
I don't know. There are some that are obvious, Mm -hmm. obviously built. Yeah. I think I mentioned one last week. My brother was, he dinks around with these altcoins and he bought one that was, I looked it up on coin market cap and it was like 10, 10 wallets hold 94% of the coins or something. You're just like, Oh my God. But I mean, it's out there. It's a matter of like, Mm -hmm. do your own research. You could see that if you wanted to. Exactly. But like buyer beware advertised, right? Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's not part of their value proposition that hey, I own. I mean, I can't even. Can you even believe? I can't believe Coinbase would even do something like that to its customers. Of hey, here's this coin that ten people own ninety percent of. It. It's just crazy. Well, nothing. But that, but that happens with stocks, anymore. though, right? Like yeah. you can be an owner of a company and own fifty percent of the stock. Like you should, right? If you're, <laughs> yeah, and they can always just dilute your shares and issue more. You know depending on what the management wants to do. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Nothing surprises me about Coinbase. I was really upset with them in 2017 when they started listing like some of their employees, like ICO tokens and just dumping them. But I mean, at the same time, it's like if do your own research and if you're going to be buying into these things, like I don't feel that bad (laughs) if you lose money because to some extent, there's some sense of, individual responsibility that has to be had you know yeah no no Um, and and i think you'll see like over time it gravitates and it's like and some people i think know there's risk mm -hmm. like there's plenty of traders that are like look i know this thing is not gonna be here but i don't care right now i'm just trying to catch a wave and Mm -hmm. end up with more whatever their preferred currency is more bitcoin more cash more litecoin whatever Mm -hmm. so all right. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, I think so too. I don't know. This is probably a little disorganized, but we'll get better as time goes on, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah, and I, think, uh, I think maybe overall, just remember our, our idea is that there's going to be many chains. Um, our focus as a community should be promoting people to learn about what it is, I think, that makes Satoshi's original idea so revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And why it's so important to run your nodes, hold your own coins, enter at your own risk when it comes to other things and take your time. Like there's, you're not going to miss, like to me, you're not going to miss the boat. Mm-hmm. If you take your time and you invest and you do your due diligence, you're, you're way ahead of everybody else right now. 99% of the world is still way behind the eight ball and understanding all this stuff. Yeah, I, I would add a little bit to that is like, I mean, if you feel the FOMO, just don't go all in. Like you can maybe take a percentage of your net worth and, and decide, even though your understanding is limited, but put some money in for sure. But as, yeah, you're not going to miss. It's it's much better if you miss the boat than, um, you know, putting all your money and getting rug pulled by some scam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Do, do some research, learn. And yeah, this multi-chain world, I think, is coming. Um, but if, you know, think for yourself, there's obviously, you know, so much that we still don't know. And um, if you disagree, I'd love to hear people disagree with me and and why and ask ask questions. I'd love to debate. Yeah, so if you, if you do want, if you get this, um, we'll probably post it on Twitter. Uh, we'll find somewhere to put it. But um, I'm at LTC Underground is our page. Yeah. Shoot challenges to us. Like I do think if we've said something that's inaccurate, um, let me know that, that to me is one of my biggest fears about um, any sort of public exposing my what's inside of my head is that Mm -hmm. I I try very hard to be, this is just a little personal note here. I very try hard to be very accurate because I feel like um, that's a representation of me Mm -hmm. and I try not to say things unless I've, I've done my research in a way, but there's certainly things I could be misunderstanding. So I want to know it. I don't want to, don't mock me for it. Just tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm doing my best way. out here, yeah. right? Yeah. We're all doing our best and yeah, we're humans. We make mistakes, but as long as we're aimed at getting the right answers, we're not here to just promote something because it, you know, may benefit our personal net worth. It's, it's about understanding and learning together so yeah shoot questions hopefully if if anyone listened this far um and then yeah we're open to discussing any topic that the litecoin community or anyone you know wants to hear 
Yeah, you're so you are you're at W Litecoin, right? Yeah, my my Twitter profile is at yeah W Litecoin. And I, my personal one, I just just use me as at LTC Underground. That's probably the best way to reach me. And uh, yeah, we'll do we'll try to do more of these. Hopefully, at least a couple times a month, depending on our schedules. And um, Wednesdays at nine, I've been doing Twitter Spaces. I'm hoping to have a good one coming up with a special guest soon. So uh, thanks for taking the time. Hit us up with some questions. You got anything else before we go? I don't. I think that sums it up. Thanks. Thanks for anyone that listened. And yeah, check out our Twitter spaces. All right. All right.